Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is Benji Carr. Hi, Benji. Hello. How's it going? Oh, I'm fine for the most part. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, holding my own here. Where are you? Uh, I am in Pennsylvania. Where are you? I'm in Atlanta. Oh, okay. How are things in Atlanta these days? Um, I'm scared to go outside because we're in a COVID hot zone. Yeah. I'm vaccinated, but the majority of my fellow Georgians apparently are not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem in quite a few states now. It's uh, it's a shame. It, it seems like it's definitely coming back around, right? Yes. Yes, unfortunately. Or it's never going to go away. Yeah, yep, yep, I know. It's Well, we'll see what well, happens. Yep, we are, we are. So, uh, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to talk with you about uh, your book that I read, right? Um, and uh, it's called Impacted. Is that correct? Yes. So that was such a great book. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners uh, more about it. And um, and when was that released? Uh, it was released um, last month. It was released in July, um, beginning of the month, July 6th. Um, it is the story of a young man whose life is essentially a mess. He has a girlfriend at home, a new baby at home. He lives in his mom's basement, and he's having an affair with uh, his dentist. The affair is not appropriate. Um, he tries to end it so that he can keep all of his secrets intact, and that goes a bit... Um, awry okay so um it seemed like when i was reading this i was like oh this is like your your normal average everyday young adult right um yes although he's more of a what i would call transitional age youth because he still wasn't wasn't adult yet right indeed um that is something that uh, comes about because that's something that comes about in the narrative. One of the things that I remember about about being a teenager burdened with like lots and lots of secrets is um, that you always want to feel like you're older than you are and in charge of things and in control of things, even when things are spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. You don't want someone to come along and tell you that your experience, as you've seen it, is not is not um, what's actually happening. Right. You want people to validate your experiences, right? Right. So Wade, the main character Wade, is in the middle of a disaster, but it's a disaster that he blames himself entirely for, which is something that happens um, in abusive or manipulative relationships anyway mm -hmm. um 
often we feel that things that, that often we feel that like bad things that happen to us or predatory situations are things that we are responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a survivor of abuse. And so I wanted to write a book from that perspective, um, not to, not, not to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not to um, exploit that sort of situation, but instead to really bring it to light, to bring it, to bring it to light. Yeah. I think that we should talk about these things more often because they happen rather prevalently. And also the more that we talk about it out in the open, the less people who are going through it currently um, feel that they are not alone. Mm -hmm. You're right. And particularly within our, within our community, um, that happens a lot. There's so much that, that in childhood that we were taught to keep quiet or hide about ourselves yeah. Um, and that led to moments where, where if you can't confide in your, if you can't confide in your, um, parents or your supervisor, or parents or your, um, elders about important things, then you feel like you are keeping secrets from them perpetually. And that's what the character is going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so poignant. It really is. And, you know, um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, really, really well conceived. And, you know, I would say, you know, in in art, right, there's always a a fine line between sometimes between comedy and tragedy. Um, And and I was reminded of this uh, when I was reading, you know, kind of it's Wade's story. Right. And yeah. He just one thing after another and and you know some of it like is is kind of humorous but when you look at the the whole picture of what is happening in this young man's life it's kind of tragic at the same time. Yes. Well, but the way that I always act in terms of my own life is that I guess my sense of humor became kind of a defense mechanism. Okay. Like I always deflect or um, or goof around or act like things are a good deal lighter than they actually are. Right. So that even when things are like horribly, horribly gone wrong, even when things have horribly, horribly gone wrong, um, we still sort of can't believe the shit that you're in and you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And. And you end up, and there's something oddly funny about when life decides to just pile on to you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and comedy or humor uh, can be a great uh, way to really deal with with things um, if you if you truly deal with them, right? Um, right. Not that you can always joke about everything, but um, right. But a friend of mine says that humor is a way of disarming people necessarily. You get them to visit the more appealing or amusing aspects of the story, which allows them to which allows them to let their guard down, realize that they're 
in a safe environment and then you start to tell them stuff that's real right and they're more inclined to hear it it, it absolutely can be it absolutely can be very disarming yep your friend is right um yes. so so what what genre would you say how would you categorize this my publisher wants me to categorize it as literary fiction. However, I've always called it a bit of a gay Southern murder noir. <laughs> okay, a gay Southern murder noir. That's great. Gay Southern murder noir, yes. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because I, I essentially tried to write in the style of like, like older dime store novels like the um, Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe stuff mm -hmm. where um, where a detective comes in and saves the day from like uh, fr from like some I think in the big sleep it was a, a teenage girl who who found herself partying and getting drunk too often and um and ended up like getting her photos taken by a pornographer mm -hmm. who then she spoiler alert beats to death. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I tried to, um, so I, I tried to take that experience. I, I started with, I started with um, a really terrible first sentence that would not leave my head. Okay. Because I was going to write this as just a crime short story. Mm -hmm. And then instead, um, it just never stopped until it was 250 pages. Um, but um, the first story that I started with was essentially something like, because Wade couldn't unfuck his dentist, mm -hmm. uh, he had to figure out another solution. <laughs> And there's a variation of, on that sentence on the first page. Mm -hmm. But like on post-it notes all over my house was just the phrase unfuck the dentist until I, <laughs> until I couldn't, until I couldn't leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> because there was something just so like, I, the, the sentence was so ridiculous. And yet at the same time, it was, it presented a dilemma that was nonetheless colorful enough to be a story. Right. And, and that sentence right there uh, is kind of the epitome of, of that line between tragedy and comedy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and yet who among us who's been in relationships before <laughs> hasn't ever thought, well, you know what? I just really wish that I could unfuck this person. But never mind. <laughs> I hope that I'm not too tacky. Not at all. Not at all. Not. No, it's great. It's okay. It's great. So, so tell me, how long did it take you to write Impacted? I had set out to write it over the course of a year, and I finished it, I believe, in 14 months. All right. That's, that's really great. Really. Um, what do you think was the hardest scene to write? Um, there are scenes toward the end mm -hmm. of the book where where the main character 
is trying to confront the actuality of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to his mother. Yeah. And it isn't just a coming out scene that that happens before. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene where. There's a scene where he has to explain to her how he got into this relationship. And she's trying to tell him that it's one way, but in his mind, and he was there, it was something else. Right. And they're seeing it from two very different perspectives. Yes. She's seeing it from, from the outside, but also from a very protective stance mm-hmm. of this is her son. Her baby. And he's, yeah. And he's trying to... Um, He's trying to tell her that the relationship, that he had agency within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And be, because that's that's one thing that um, abusive relationships do to us. It leads us to blame ourselves, leads us to um, take responsibility think, when it's not yeah. yours to take. Yeah, think think that somehow we asked for this when we didn't. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it's just because you can't tell when you're being manipulated, particularly yeah. if you're very, very young. Although, yeah. who knows, I still might not be able to tell now. I keep getting dumped by horrible people. Um, never mind. <laughs> or dumping Ooh. horrible people. Well... At least um, you're not with horrible people. Yeah. My parents kind of taught me that by default. Um, like, I basically grew up watching the way that they dated and the way that they, um, not the way that they dated each other, but the way that they dated other people after their divorce. Okay. And and I realized that, um, I realized that I would rather be with, myself alone than to be with someone bad okay yep i i understand that yeah definitely um you know i think it might have been generational though because because there were things that my parents agreed to in their relationships that i i just that I myself would not, but yeah. So they kind of, um, you know, gave in and, and, uh, acquiesced and did things that they were not turned a blind eye and pretended yeah. to be happy rather than actually doing the work to be honest and straightforward yeah. and happy. Well, you really did a great job with that scene at the end. You really, really did. Um, you know, it, it really came across, to me anyway, as the reader that, you know, this was difficult for Wade and that they were definitely seeing things from different lenses. And uh, Wade was really taking or trying anyway to take responsibility um, for something that wasn't his to take. Um, So you really did a great job, uh, you know, of, of just laying that out. Um, Another really difficult conversation that I ended up writing was a scene between another character, a dental hygienist and her son, where she essentially tries to explain to him 
that his body is his and that no one can make him feel like that no one can can touch it or or handle it or manage it without his permission she was teaching him about boundaries yes but then she even goes so far as to say um like even if the person who hurts you is me yeah which most parents wouldn't say that right because they want their child to feel safe and they want their child to know that they are safe with them and also you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to consider that you could hurt your own kid. Yeah. And most parents don't consider that they, uh, they talk about, you know, stranger danger, but they don't talk about the fact that, you know, they too can negatively impact their own child. Right. But within, within that situation though, the character that I wrote about was coming to terms with like some of the choices that she made throughout the book were to essentially protect herself above all others. Mm hmm. And in the process, though, she couldn't wash her hands of the things that she let happen. Mm -hmm. And so she was just sort of recognizing some of her own, like, some of her own mistakes. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that we should discuss this so in depth without, without, without giving spoiler. Yeah, yeah, we definitely um, shouldn't. So let me just ask you, Benji, who, who is your target audience for this? Um, it is an adult book. I did not write it for, um, I did not write it for young adults. And yet I have this desire, this like secret desire that, um, that it will find its way into the hands of, of a teenager or someone struggling in an abusive situation and make them feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a feeling that it will. And, and I, I definitely, you know, would promote it to that transitional age youth group. Um, You know, uh, those are the, those are the main characters. Um, And, and, you know, uh, I think young adults can identify with them. Right. So, um, is impacted your only published novel so far yes okay and do you have anything lined up for publication or are you currently working on anything i'm under contract for two more books and i'm currently working on one that is um driving me a little bit insane at the moment wow two more books that's awesome terrifying but yes yeah (laughs) are they are they related to impacted or totally separate um, I was going to have them take place in the same town, uh-huh. and um, I was going to. Um... Are you a fan of the book Olive Kittredge? No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, Olive Kittredge is written by a, an author named Elizabeth Strout, and she's done two books about this character who occasionally walks into and out of stories and each book each book is filled up with chapters and the chapters are individual stories and sometimes olive is at the center of the chapter and other times olive just walks through them Mm -hmm. okay and i just 
I like the idea of creating a community mm-hmm. so that occasionally other characters will show up. Oh, that's fun. I do not have any plans for characters from Impacted to necessarily show up. But, yeah. But if they do, I, I mean, if I'm going to crib from myself, I guess that that's not entirely wrong. Okay. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I like that. You know, and, and, and when people, uh, you know, when, when a novel resonates with someone, uh, you know, usually readers will, will want it to keep going and they, they like to see the, the characters, you know, pop up in other books, uh, even if it's just for a little cameo. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who wanted a direct sequel to Impacted and they were like, well, yeah, but couldn't Wade just have another horribly problematic affair next time? <laughs> oh, boy. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'd like to think that we learn from what we do, but maybe not. <laughs> oh, boy. That that would be something. Uh, <laughs> so um, you're currently then working on, on these two other books, or at least one other. Um, one other yeah. of the two. Okay, yes. great, great. And... And who is your publishing house? My publishing house is this place called The Story Plant. It is out of Connecticut. Um, It is run by Lou Aronica, who has uh, 30 years experience, 40 years experience. Now, I don't know how old I am um, in in publishing. Uh, How did you get connected with them? Uh, through the Broadleaf Writers Conference in uh, Decatur, Georgia, okay. um, I I was um, a volunteer and a board member for the Broadleaf Writers Association. And what I would do is I would go and yeah, I organized panels and um, and staffed them with moderators. Okay. And in the process of doing that, I um, would then submit to the first pages critiques. We, we would do um, anonymous first pages critiques where where publishers and agents would just read the first page of a manuscript without knowing who wrote it or anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I submitted the first page of this one. Okay. And several agents were just reading along and then they got to the unfucked the dentist sentence and all of a sudden 14 people started circling the page and <laughs> and two agents and two agents and one of the pub two agents and one of the publishers like whoever wrote this come find me and Aww. I had already made plans to see them anyway so when I got to tell them that it was mine they were all excited oh that's great my publisher's really encouraging. He told me to just write a book the way that I talk. And I have a feeling that that's what I did as crass and direct as this book is. Yeah. I I got to tell you, I didn't really find it to be so crass. Like, I, I didn't. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely not a prude by any means, but sometimes I read things and I'm like, ooh, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way, you know, but, uh, I, I didn't think that at all with your, with your book. Well, at one point I, um, at one point I talk about how Wade has both a girlfriend and a boyfriend and how he sort of seems to be, um, 
fluid and up up for whatever and um and I refer to his dick as a drafty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my mother read that. Yeah. What did she <laughs> say? <laughs> so my mother's like, I like all of it except for the language. Uh-huh. Oh, she also didn't like my Trump references, but I'm like, well, you just have to live with that. Yeah. But- yep. Yeah. So um how how has your life changed at all since becoming like a published author? Honestly, becoming a published author during a pandemic, you don't get to really promote it okay. all that much. Okay. Um. So I I've been doing podcasts and um. But but also. Also, I'm nervous that the book is going to like die on the vine without many people knowing about it, which mm. is something apparently the debut authors just sort of go through that there's just this anxiety perpetually surrounding the book that yeah. whatever you're doing is not the right thing to do yeah. or whatever you're trying to tell people you're you're nervous you're talking about the book too much you where you're not talking about the book in the right places or, or, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what are you doing to promote it? Um, I imagine like you can't get out and about right to um, book signings and, you know, those kind of things. Um, what I did was um, around October of last year, the book was originally supposed to come out in May. Around October of last year, I um, reached out to authors that I knew uh, Mm -hmm. through Broadleaf and other um, other connections Mm -hmm. um, and sent them copies of the book to see if they would blurb it or have anything to say about it. And I think I sent it out to about 10 authors and eight of them came back with very positive compliments and a a lot of tooth puns um and and so that helped to get the word out um i had them mention the book um for virtual events that we've done um i've had authors who are better known than i am like um that's great brian panowich and i've got colleen oakley coming up um, that's nice. Who are one. willing to co-host events with me, or or just sort of introduce me? Yeah, yeah. That's great. That when you have someone like that who's willing to do that for you, kind of kind of bring you into you know that world. It all feels really unreal, too. Does it? Because well, because when you're writing a book and you don't have a publisher and you're just sort of doing it by yourself in a Dunkin' Donuts at four in the, in the <laughs> four in the morning, yeah, like you assume that you're just writing for yourself or the two or three people that you're going to show it to. You don't expect anyone to ever see it, and then you know you you send it to your friends and your friends tell you that it's good, and and you don't entirely believe them because they're your friends so of course they're going to say nice things yeah but when you start to send it out to people who have no no investment in you no investment in you and it becomes about the work or the work it's 
or, or the work by itself, mm-hmm. then um, then that starts to just. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, yeah, I, I could understand that. that. Yeah, yeah. Were you not because not because I don't believe that I didn't do something good. Mm-hmm. I just I didn't know that I would connect. Yeah, I hoped that I would connect, but I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and I imagine that it's a little nerve wracking because this is a piece of you, right? Um, oh, oh, yes. It became very, very personal as yeah. I was writing it because yeah. I realized what I was processing through. Yeah. And you're sharing this with the world. Um, and I imagine that that's kind of uh, nail biting, you know? Yes. Yeah. So you you like to write at Dunkin Donuts? Yes, the pandemic has completely messed me up. Ever since then, they've done limited hours, so I can't go anywhere <laughs> at 4 a.m. It's crazy. Uh, like, and like instead, I'm just sort of sitting in my house. And and every time I shout out my coffee order in my house, no one listens to me because uh, there's no one else here. Oh, <laughs> gosh. That's, that's horrible. That's the worst thing. <laughs> I know I have to put my own kettle on. It's uh, crazy. <laughs> so when did I you... Told this would, I was told that this would be so extravagant, but no, I'm no. kidding. <laughs> so when, um, when did you start writing and, and, you know, have you always wanted to do this? Um, yes, I started writing, um, I think the first storybook that I ever wrote, I wrote for like my fourth grade, um, gifted class, um, when I was in elementary school, uh, my teacher's name was Ann Day, and um, she had us write out stories on pieces of paper, and we sewed them all together in these like little cardboard books, and that was the first book that I wrote. Aww. I was probably about 10 or so. Um, I started reading when I was 18 months old, if you believe my mother, because I was able to recognize a Kmart insignia on a on a newspaper okay she sat down in front of me so I was reading before I could walk and um then I kept like I watched there were shows like not just Sesame Street but the show called the electric company that had Rita Moreno on it yeah I remember that and it taught me how to read and so then before before I even got to like elementary school I was I was reading like all the Ramona books and so even even at the back of like in the acknowledgement section of this book, I talk about Beverly Cleary and how, and how her initials are the same as mine and how I wanted to be on the shelf next to her, but my book's in a completely different section. (laughs) So, um, who are some of your favorite authors in it? Um, if you, you like to read and what's your favorite genre to read? Oh, all right. Here's the thing. Okay. What's the thing? The author that everyone needs to read that barely anyone has heard about is an author named Michael McDowell. Okay. I'm writing this down. Yes. All right. Michael McDowell died in 1990. Okay. Um, he wrote all sorts of paperback horror and Southern Gothic fiction. Hmm. Um. He was he was gay. He was originally from Alabama, but he went up to Harvard. Um, and 
at the point where I read the first novel that I read by him, um, it was called The Elementals, and it's creepy. I wrote his partner a fan letter. Now, this was like six years ago. Okay. I wrote his partner a fan letter because... Mm -hmm. Because because he because he had passed away. Mm -hmm. The most famous things that Michael McDowell worked on were the movie Beetlejuice and the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. He did uh, script treatments for those. Okay. But he wrote this one book called Blackwater mm -hmm. that was released in six volumes over the course of like a year. Wow. And and Stephen King used it as the release model for um, the Green Mile. Really? I don't know. I don't. Do you remember the Green Mile came out piece by piece by piece by piece? Mm-hmm. Right. Michael McDowell did that with Blackwater first, and Blackwater is a like gigantic family soap opera set in Alabama over the course of seventy years. And it's essentially a fight between these two women to gain control over their family in their town. Mm -hmm. okay. But one of the women is a sea monster. Okay. And does everyone know she's a sea monster or no? No. Only a handful of people know she's a sea monster. Okay. Huh. But we know almost okay. from the beginning. Okay. But no one else knows. Okay. And huh. it was one of, it's one of the most bonkers, baffling things I've ever read. And like if and, and so now whenever anyone asks me like what my favorite book or genre is, yeah. I have to go with Michael McDowell and his like creepy southern horror stories. Huh. That is really unique. I'll have to check that out. Yes. It's a gay author. Okay. It's um Horror, it's it's genre fiction. Okay. It's um. It's funny and strange and very very southern and creepy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I I I kind of like southern and creepy. Um. <laughs> like uh, I'm thinking of um. Oh. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it. Flannery O'Connor was a little creepy even, while she was southern okay. and i always consider her to be like the standard okay and then shirley jackson was creepy but not southern okay and then um for for thriller books like mine though you can look for stuff like uh, i looked at Ashley hammett or um patricia highsmith mm -hmm. yeah patricia highsmith wrote um talented mr ripley yep as well as Price of Salt and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. She's the best. Yeah. Talented Mr. Ripley is definitely one of those kind of creepy, creepy stories. Yes. Yeah. And, and and as gay as it was allowed to be at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so um, do you write like every day? Um, or like, do you write just when the mood strikes? Like, you know, you're working, you're under contract for two more novels. How does that work out for you? I haven't figured that out yet. Okay. I wish that I wrote every day. I know that my publisher wishes that I wrote every day. <laughs> um, what I need to do is, uh, 
get some of these index cards that I have lying around my desk and, and to actually write stuff on them and put them up on the wall so that I can map out the story beats of at least the first section of this new book. Okay, so you're kind of old school in that you actually, you're you're still using like uh, real like paper index cards and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, I've got a full-on corkboard right here in front of me. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, um, a lot of people will use like there's some, you know, writing programs that actually like have, you know, like virtual corkboards and stuff like that. Scrivener and things like that. I've tried to figure that out. And for the life of me, I can't. Like, yeah. I ended up writing the book that I wrote. I ended up writing it using a program called Ohm Writer, mm -hmm. which, which, like, essentially this like got rid of all other distractions and just sort of like played ambient music in the background so that I couldn't look at anything else except nice. for the words on the page. Nice. It was really useful. Um, I, I should probably get back to that, but I also used a spreadsheet to map out my word counts every day. That's that was good. really good as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. Scrivener does that for you, but yeah, it is, uh, I don't know. Scrivener is can be a little technical, you know. If There's... anyone wants to teach me how to use Scrivener, then please do. I have tried and tried. Yeah, there's I've so tried. many so many components to it, you know. Every time you open something new, it gives you like three pages of full in text so that you don't <laughs> get a sense of anything. And it's all descriptions and instructions. And when I'm in the mood to write, I don't want anything in front of me. But yeah. anyway, yeah. I sound like a snob. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So um, have you like heard anything from the public? Are you, you know, um, how is impacted being received? Um, the reviews from customers have been generally positive. Good. Um, because we hide or because I hid a lot of of details about the book that I thought might turn people off from even picking it up. Mm -hmm. um, but again, that's what the book is about. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Okay. I, uh, th 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 those people have um, have reacted in a sort of not what I wanted kind of way. Yeah. But um, okay. the authors, the authors that I've shared it with um, are generally positive or, or at least find something positive to say. Um, an author that I talked to after the book came out, her name is Trudy Nan Boyce. Uh, she sent me a message like a couple days ago telling me that that Wade was a very well drawn, sympathetic character. Um, and that she really appreciated his existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wade is someone who I'd love to have as a client in therapy. <laughs> he's a mess, isn't he? <laughs> uh, he's great. He's great. So, um, Thank you. yeah. So, Benji, um, how would our listeners contact you if, if they wanted to, to get a hold of you? Um, do you have, like, a, are you on social media or... Uh, oh, I have a Facebook author page. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can also reach out to me through Goodreads. Goodreads. Okay. All right. So is it uh, Benji Carr on all of them? 
Yes, B E N J I. Okay, B E N J I C A R R. Um, yes. All right, that is awesome. Oftentimes, um, our listeners will contact me and say, "Hey, you know, I I heard that author, and I just want to I I read their work, and I uh, want to let them know, you know, what I think." So. Um, Excellent. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Benji, that is all the time we have for today. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Hey, it has been great talking to you. And I really recommend um, for anyone who's interested uh, picking up, uh, it's the book is called Impacted by Benji Carr. And it came out this past July. Um, great book, um, you know, uh, tells a, a poignant story, um, uh, with a lot of, a lot of humor thrown in. Um, so, and, and, uh, that is available, Benji, I'm assuming anywhere folks buy their, their books, eBooks and paper books and. Yes. Okay. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, I'm Anita Kelly, and thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books, baby. And thanks once again to Benji Carr for being with us today. So until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe, folks.